You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 19 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Black Cat Manor. Black Cat Manor is a hardcore punk band from Freeport, Illinois. Black Cat Manor's music includes a perfect blend of blistering riffs, melodic breaks, and socially conscious lyrics that has the potential to appeal to fans of Slayer and Green Day equally. Last year, their song Hellfire was featured on the season premiere of the hit FX TV show American Horror Story Cult. For more information on the band, please check out blackcatmanorband.com, facebook.com forward slash blackcatmanorband, on Instagram at blackcat underscore manor, and make sure to check them out on iTunes, Amazon, and all of the other streaming platforms. Now here it is, their song, Hellfire.
Yo, what's up? This is Rick Thor and the Biker in Black, and you're listening to that One Time on Tour podcast. Run for the road, cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play. To get back in the van Hey, what's going on? This is Chris Swinney, your host for that one time on tour. This is it. It's episode number one nine. Episode 19 coming straight at you out of Muncie, Indiana. Uh, it is about 1230 in the a.m. I got my son asleep a while back and I am in my podcast studio, which is also my catch all room. And uh, I'm going to bring this to you. I have a really cool guest this week. Before I tell you about my guest this week, I do need to tell you about some amazing sponsors that helped me out. Uh, the first sponsor that I want to talk about is Muncie Music Center. Uh, Muncie Music Center is a really cool store here in Muncie, Indiana. They sell everything, guitars, basses, trombones, saxophones, keyboards, whatever you want. I teach guitar, ukulele, bass, banjo, mandolin. I teach everything there. So if you need lessons, hit me up. But if you need anything else, go to MuncieMusic.com. And if you're in town, if you're in Muncie, Indiana for some reason, you want to hit them up at 600 South Mulberry Street in downtown Muncie, Indiana. So check them out. They've got a recording studio. It's a great place. MuncieMusic.com. Also, I need to tell you about rockabilia.com. They've been a sponsor now for the last four or five episodes. They're wonderful. They sent me some really cool shirts. I got a really cool, like, Kill 'em All Metallica shirt, tour shirt uh, from back in 1983. It, of course, it's a reprint, it's not original. It'd be a lot more money if it was an original. I got a Propagandi shirt. I got a Descendant shirt. I got all kinds of really cool stuff from them. They're an amazing sponsor. They have over 500,000 unique items officially licensed by the band. So make sure you go over to rockabilly.com and at checkout, put in the promo code PCTOTOT and save 15% off of your entire order. So check out MuncieMusic.com and check out rockabilly.com. Okay, on to today's episode. I get to sit down with my buddy Rick Thorne. He's a BMX legend, he's an actor. He's a he's on Sirius Satellite Radio. He was a host on MTV, ESPN. The guy has done everything. He's in a band called Good Guys in Black. He's an amazing person. He's the most positive guy that I know. Uh, I got to know him on the on the 2009 Vans Warp Tour. He was on the tour. I was on the tour with the Ataris. And uh, he's a great guy, and I finally got him on the show, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear this conversation. Before I jump to that, make sure you're following us on all of the social media platforms. It's at TOTOT Podcast. If you want to get in touch to become a sponsor, or if you just want to talk or whatever, TOTOT Podcast at gmail.com. Make sure to leave me some love or some hate. Tell me a tour story, whatever you want, on the TOTOT hotline. That is 1-765-372-8818. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us in the iTunes store. Tell a friend about the show. Things have been going really well. We're growing exponentially every week. So make sure that you come back week in and week out. But here it is, my conversation with my good buddy, the biker in black, Mr. Rick Thorne. Hey, Rick, what's going on, man? What's up, dude? How you been? 
I've been great. I have not seen you since 2009 on the Warp Tour. How are, how are things going? You know what, dude? After high school, your life flies by, bro. Nine years is the blink of an eye. It seems like the other day. Oh yeah, totally, man. I just I know yeah, no, uh, I know you're in contact with my buddy Jake Dwiggins, the drummer from the Ataris. I, I know that uh, you guys have kind of kept in contact a little bit. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. He just hit me up not too long ago. Yeah, I uh, he I told him I was going to have you on the podcast. He got really really excited. So uh, I, at least you got to have one person that's super stoked. <laughs> well, we'll get one like out there. You know, that's a start. That's a start, brother. <laughs> So so tell me what tell me what you're up to today man what are you doing out there in California Well like you know I I uh well I don't know where to start here let me let me see I don't compete anymore but that's not a bad thing because I think like like what what riding you know those that don't know I ride BMX and competed 25 years and blah 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 but I never stopped riding and so I took my riding into different areas of like you know I just created this show called Pool Seekers and that's where we go on tour. It's a BMX and skate show. Boost Mobile sponsored it, and we go and we hit pools up. We drain them and we ride them and stuff. And it's like it's almost kind of like you have chapters in your life, but you also have chapters in your career. Like when when you decide to go a different way, and then you work something out that way, and then you go back to this way, and then you know what I mean. Is it a little bit more kind of DIY like it was at the beginning for you? Now I know a lot of bands kind of revert back to that because it's a little bit easier. Is that how it is for you? I mean. To a degree, it isn't the same like coming up with riding, you know, like riding something that I'll never the thing that people have a misconception about bike riding is is that if you don't compete anymore, therefore you don't ride. But I always question that because I'm like, wait a second, like is every like I'll use the word action sports, even though that's kinda of corny, but just so those who don't know can categorize this, is like is every action sport or extreme sport like that? Like, oh, so if you don't compete, you're just done? Is that the only reason you vote was for a contest? I mean, I would, I would, I would think that you would be with bikes the way that I was when I started. I mean, I know you're a musician as well, but like, I'm going to do music whether I'm making money or not. I would think that the bike riding would be the same. It's something that you're passionate about, correct? Yeah, yeah, no, that's the exact reason why I started riding. Like, I didn't start riding because I saw it on TV and I was like, oh, well, I'm going to be a sponsored pro. Of course, those were goals that came after the fact, but when I started, there was no sponsorships at all. We're talking like 1981, 82, and. And the reality is, is that I started riding for a feeling that it gave me, not so much for like fame or money or opportunity. It was just like, fuck, I finally feel alive, bro. And that's, that's why I still ride. Like we rode yesterday, man, we hit this pool and we were like, it was sick, bro. And then like my homies were doing the stairs, you know, we call it the cake. And I was like, man, we just cake. But I was a little scared, you know, because I hadn't done one in a minute. But I was, I was like, oh, don't doubt yourself. And then I overcame that fear and ended up pulling it and, jam in the session and and it's it's that it's those moments that i live for to challenge yourself because like that's what it's all about like yeah of course of course i gotta make a living i have children and i need to eat of course but for me like i never stopped writing and that led into tv that led into film that led into radio that led into music with my band good guys in black it led into writing finally uh, writing my own show and, and, and taking all your resources and your, your experience that you have into a direction that's still associated and you still get the same feeling, but it's to keep yourself entertained. Like, bro, if all I did was compete for 40 years of my life and that's all I did and I was content with that, cool. But to me, I just feel like I have more to offer than just that. You know what I mean? 
Def, definitely. I, I actually wanted to get into that as far as, I mean, I'm going to get to the music as well because this is sort of a music podcast, but I'm very interested. I know you grew up in Kansas City, correct? Yeah. So how did you get into BMX? Like what, what, what was it about BMX that kind of got you excited and how did you end up moving from Kansas City out to California? Can you kind of give me a synopsis of all that? Well, I just grew up, bro, I grew up like totally, I, I can't really, I don't know where it ever came from with riding. I think that, you know, uh, first and foremost, I like to say the past is the past. You forgive and move on to what I'm getting ready to say is that I grew up in a family that was different at the time. And I grew up with a single mom that worked in a factory and, and, uh, dad left us and felt very abandoned and very alone. And then I just go out and ride my bike and it just made me, I, I literally, I swear, I, I can't say the moment when, but that I was like, this, this is the raddest feeling because I just feel free. I feel free from all this. I feel free from, I just feel like I have an identity, but I didn't even know that. I just liked the feeling it gave me. And we would jump curbs and shit like that and, like, you know, make up little jumps and stuff. And then I picked up a magazine, at like a 7-Eleven or something, I don't know, and, like, it was a BMX magazine. And then that was, like, all right, gone after that. Like, I was like, wow, they have all these ramps. And, like, I dreamed of California, right? So to answer your question, people always used to say, are you from California? Are you from California? When I lived in Missouri because I dressed total California. I was obsessed with, like, getting out of the hot hot summers and getting out of the cold winters and i wanted to just ride at this point it was just like ride 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 you know and so for me like i didn't move to california until i was 27 a lot later than most people but you know uh it just it, it happened that way and once i moved out i started doing a lot of tv stuff and things things fell into place from there but it was really just because i finally got the balls enough to say all right you know what like i was married the first time i moved to st louis I got divorced. I'm like, I'm not going to stay in Missouri. I'm not going back to Kansas. Either you're going to do it now or you're not going to do it. And, but see, I'd been, I'd been touring since I was 15. So I'd been to California and I, I'd never, I hadn't gone out of the States until I was like in my mid 20s. But like, but like, I kind of got a taste of it. And I was like, holy shit, you know, that's where I want to go. You know what I mean? So I just packed up, packed up what was in my car and drove out. That was it. Were you, uh, like, what were you listening to? I mean, I will tie, tie music into this. I mean, for when you were younger, do you remember, like, the first time that music really spoke to you? In the beginning. Yeah. Even before bike riding. Yeah, even yeah. before that, yeah. Well, because I wanted to be in a band growing up, but I wasn't from a family of musicians or actors or entertainers or athletes of any sort at all. And, you know, I didn't, for me with riding it was just like it was my 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 deal i could go do it by myself i could leave whenever i want i could come and go i could do whatever and so for me music was always a huge part of my life when the early days of bike riding it was like you know i got i will okay here's a funny story i was asleep on my mom's couch and i sleep on the couch and i used to watch this usa night flight shit all night thing and Another state of I woke up in the middle of the night and the the movie Another State of Mind was on the Youth Brigade Social D. Love that movie. And I was blown away, and I was like, and I knew right then what I, what I wanted to be, what I wanted to do, like right that split second. And and around that time, you know, I got this cassette tape from my my friend Dennis McCoy because we were listening to Run DMC and stuff, you know, and like and like the Ramones and stuff and and the Clash a little bit like that, you know. And then when I got this tape, it had like seven seconds, the faction, youth brigade, 
the adolescence. I was like, whoa. And that right that was right at social D. Like that was right after I saw another state of mind. And then I was like, Oh dude, okay. No, this is I'm so like drawn in. And so for me, music was always the backbone, bro, because like I'll go out riding, put on my headphones and I could jam out like and, and ride and, and sometimes people could ride, sometimes people can't, right? But music is always and still is the motivator. Like you're waiting for that part in that song to like bust out. But I grew up in like a family that was like and if I'm talking a lot, just cut me off, bro. No, you, dude, you're <laughs> fine, man. I love I love okay. hearing it. Okay. So I grew up in a family where there's a lot of like verbal abuse, a lot of uh, negativity, a lot of substance abuse. And I didn't want to be like any of them. Straight up. Not that I was better. I just I didn't. Not so not so much speaking of my mother, because I'm a lot like my mother and, and she's and I'm I'm happy she raised me. It was more like, you know, my grandparents and that whole side of the family and my aunt and uncles and all that. And I, I didn't really want, I didn't want to live like that, man. And so I was straight edge. So I was drawn more towards like minor Ian McKay, like all day. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Minor threat all day. And and I was a punker that was like wanted a better way of life than throwing the towel. Can I cuss on your on your show? Yeah, you can say anything you want, man. It's internet based. Whatever you want to say. Oh, okay, cool. I'm just, I'm just just making sure. But like, yeah, I was like, <laughs> it's kind of funny to ask. You know, and I think I it's like, very polite of you. Thank you very much. But yeah, you can say fuck. You can say whatever you want. Well, I've done enough. You know, I've done interviews where I can't use any of that because you cuss the whole time. I'm like, oh shit, sorry. Um, but like, but like, I was like, fuck it. You know, like, I, I, I'm not the punker that's like, oh fuck the world, fucking fuck everybody. I went to fucking yeah, cause violence on everybody. But uh, I was more like the from the from the way my mom raised me. Like, don't start no shit, don't take no shit. Yeah, and. I was like from a punk mentality of like I want a better way than what I've seen and and what I've seen. How far am I going to get here being that way? And it was a really young age that like, you know, my mom. Unfortunately, a couple of my uncles have passed away in car accidents when we were younger. My mom used to you know go to the graveyard and stay the night upset and wow. it just freaked me the fuck out at first. But then around nine or so, and then after that, I was like. I'd stop and just chill and be like, well, if this is where I'm ending up, I'm going for it. But it was always in a positive way, in a way to where, like, like, you know, I went through my anger phase and, and made some mistakes and realized that that wasn't the way that I wanted to go in life, you know? And so, yeah, I, I clung more towards that, like, not so much just being straight edge and preaching straight edge, just that, like, positivity punk rock. You know what I mean? Yeah, like the like the PMA, like the Bad Brains, and like you said, like you know, Minor Threat bands like that. That they were kind of maybe a little bit more activist, like as far as just pu- spreading positivity and not just offending and just being a punk rock asshole, right? Right, exactly. And 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 then also too, then I got into the New York hardcore scene, but like Warzone, Sick of It All, and the bonding, loyalship, of friendship, and the things that we were going through with riding. You know, we had the BMX Brigade in Kansas City, so we were kind of like the same, you know, cut from the same cloth per se, like we, we were all about brotherhood and, and sticking by our friends through thick and thin and, and and that mentality was really like, you know, we were we were you know, we were from families that didn't have much money. You know, like like we couldn't afford to be punk. I always joke about that because I've met some punkers that are really popular that I thought grew up punk, but really they were from really nice families. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, like, it takes oh, a lot of it takes a lot of money to be a nonconformist if you're going to spike your hair and do all the clothes and stuff. Right, 
right? Like, you could afford to be punk. For us, like, we were just like, we're either going to be punkers negatively or punkers in a positive way, but we were still looked at negatively because we were punk. And and so, so the reality is is that no, to answer your question, and you know, is that music is always and still is is such a huge part of like, I think for anybody that rides and skates and 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 moto and surf and stuff, I think the music is a huge huge part of like our expression and our motivation. I, I mean, I can't say everybody, but I would think that. It, really huge majority of people that are into extreme sports and ride and stuff music plays a huge part i always felt that there was this really cool kinship between like the extreme athletes and the musicians because you know things like warp tour which i know you've been a part of and uh it's just that whole kind of parallel between punk rock hardcore and indie music and then the extreme kind of you know, the athletes that are on the outer fringe of what people consider sports. Cause some people are, you know, football, basketball, but no man, skaters, bikers, you guys are total athletes, man. And I love the fact that there is such a parallel drawn between kind of my world and your world. And of course you're in music as well. Uh, how, when did it, when did you start actually playing in bands? I started my band, good guys in black in 2007 at the, it was actually like uh, Christmas Eve of 2007, I remember, because of, uh, let me put these headphones in, um, because I, like, got a lot of, I got a lot of, actually, I got a lot of negativity from my sport, because I reached a point where I was on MTV Cribs, touring with Tony Hawk and video games, and, you know, I never really looked at it like, hey, here I am, like, bragging, like, I always looked at it like, if I could come from a fucking lower middle class family in Missouri and get this far, your fucking ass can get it too. And I looked at I looked at it like that rather than, but a lot of people, they were jealous, and a lot of my industry at the time attacked me. So I was pissed off, and I needed a voice. I was like, you know what, good guys in black, you look at me a certain way, but I'm, I've never I've never I've never I don't dick anybody over again. I work for my shit, right? So, so you're gonna judge me because I took an opportunity because I have a talent, but I let it bother me so much that I was like, all right, I'm gonna start a band, and that that was the the so you guys started in 2007. Did you like right away put out like a record or were you guys doing more like just videos and singles? Well, I didn't understand how musicians think for one. Okay. I mean, you're no, not at all. Like I mean, I mean, you're hanging out, bro. And we're like, yo, let's be pro BMXers. I'd be like, let's get it. And we're hanging out. We're like, let's be in a band. I thought they were like, let's get it. It's like, no, no, I was a pro athlete already established starting the band a lot of people were coming and going like they thought i was gonna sweep them off their feet put them on this world tour i'm like dude i ain't getting paid to play music like like i'm getting paid to ride bikes this is just you know and so dudes didn't really want to stick with it so i went through a lot of musicians got frustrated a lot of musicians and then and then i had to grow and realize how people are in, in the industry and so then i went solo i said i'll take the same music and i'll call it rick thorn yeah. then i'm like no nah, I didn't want to do that. That wasn't that wasn't my mission. So I did that for three years, and then I went back. Finally, got the sound I wanted for Good Guys in Black up until like last year, and said, "Okay, I'm going to do Good Guys in Black because this is what I put so much time and energy into, and I can't let anybody, you know, get my way of that. And hopefully, I could find players that are down, which I've got. So it's cool." So there, there at the beginning, we're like, you were getting guys to play with you. Were you like paying them to be like, to go record? Like, how was that all going down? That was all coming out of your pocket, right? 
No, yeah, well, yeah, to a degree. I mean, when I first started, like I said, I didn't understand it as much as I do now. Now it's like, it's more now because I'm like, you know what? I'll pay for rehearsals. I'll pay for recordings. I'll pay for the music videos. I'll pay for all the merch. All right, blah, 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 blah. That's cool. But the reality is everybody in this town is in different bands, right? And and, and, and the deal is is that I get to, uh, yeah, I get to uh, uh, keep, you know, uh, I, I'm just a, I'm just a visionary, you know. It takes it takes one to be a visionary, and coming into it being a a pro athlete kind of discouraged me at first. But then I'm like, no, nah, it's cool. Like, like you know, it it, it all worked out, you know. Um, in the beginning, uh, I got to play a lot based off of the fact, that like, oh, you know, bike riders got a band. Not not a lot of guys that that uh, were my level in X Games started a band. I don't think anybody did. You know what I mean? A, a punk band. I got to open for Pennywise and Guttermouth and Strung Out and Addicts and Suicidals. It was great, man. But the whole time, I just thought the dudes that I was in a band with were like, really like, dude, this is sick. But really, it was just kind of like, you know, it's just how musicians think that want to be hired, bro. That's all. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. So how, and it's cool. how, did you go, how did you go about writing songs? Did you just kind of hum stuff to the guys? I mean, do you play guitar I play a little bit of rhythm guitar, but I would come in with hooks. I would come in basically writing songs with hooks, like vocals, and then I'd sit down with the guitarist, and then we would break down, like we would get the melody, we would get, we would get, we would get our hook, you know what I mean? And then things would go from there. And that's still kind of how, how I write. I like, come in with a grip of songs on my guitar and go, I have an idea for this song, and we'll just start with the riffs. So he's writing the riffs, but the attitude and the direction of the, of the music is more from from me you okay. know what i'm saying yeah. like so yeah yeah so i don't play guitar that well but i have an ear for things that i want that i want to uh the band to sound like you know what i mean and so i just sit down with the guitarist and we write the, we write the melody and then we go and we you know we get we get the drums and then we get the bass and we bang it out you know what i mean so what are your what are your thoughts on the warp tour i know that you've done it a few times with with uh good guys in black as well as being on the tour as an athlete uh, the Warp Tour just ended. They just had their last day ever the other day. Uh, I was pretty sad. What are your thoughts on Warped ending? I mean, Warp ending, yeah, I was actually kind of shocked when I first got that news before the tour. I was like, whoa, they're actually, you know, it's going to end. And I was like, whoa, what a trip. Um, I mean, yeah, I think I think it, it, it I think it's, well, I think it sucks, personally, because I love the tour, but for some reason, the reasons be it is what it is, you know, I, you know, but I, but I think that like, that was a great tour for a lot of bands to get a name and recognition for themselves, you know, definitely. And, yeah. and now it's just like festival after festival, after festival, festival. I'm like over here going, how the hell do you get on any of these festivals to play any of these stages? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm thinking like, do I have to just load up the van and go hit some DIY spots? I'll do that shit. Let's go. You know what I mean? How was it being on Warp Tour those like those early years as a as an athlete? Dude, it was sick. Like like I met Kevin Lyman in nineteen ninety uh ninety six. Me and Tony Hawk were at the big day out tour in Australia riding for Airwalk. And I met Kevin Lyman. Um and I said, Dude, I love Warp Tour, I love to do any of the tour and he said you could come out this summer for a couple weeks. And then I was like, All right, and at the time, to me, it was like the raddest thing that ever happened to me in my life. I'm like, here I am getting to play or getting to ride with all these rad bands and, and 
and getting to uh, to bust out. Like, that was always what we talked about. You know what I mean? Like, in conversation, like, wouldn't it be rad if we had a stage next to Minor Threat? Blah, blah. Even though Minor Threat didn't do work for us, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. And which would have been sick. But would have been awesome, yeah. No, yeah, but, but at the time, it was like the raddest thing. And so to be part of it, I always connected with the musicians because in the back of my mind, that's what I wanted to do before I rode bikes. You know what I mean? And and so so for me, like the early days, it was a lot different. But like us athletes, you know, we had our own bus. It was only the athletes. We were all professional. And, and the, you know, we had to get up and ride every day. You couldn't get wasted and try to ride and perform. You get hurt in your jackdaw tour. And, you know, you wanted to. We wanted to do the whole damn thing, you know? So so the early days were rad because I saw, like, a lot of bands go through there that just became phenomenal, like, huge, huge successes, too. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that was the go-to tour where the next... I mean, Eminem did the work tour. I remember that year. I remember that, too. Yeah, I remember seeing him on tour. Yeah, and, like, people were throwing shit at him on stage and stuff, and, like, he's just, like, it was just crazy, crazy. You know, like, Black Eyed Peas and, like, you know, just so many different big bands that just became huge. So I'm just kind of curious to see what's next. Is is it like just festivals only, and there's no tour that actually? I still I still think people care enough about music to go watch live bands play. You know. I feel like uh, Kevin's probably. I mean, I don't have any insider information, but I would be willing to bet that they're going to do something sort of like a Lollapalooza, where they maybe they do like a three day festival, like a riot fest kind of thing with Warp, because I can't see it completely ending. I mean, maybe not across the country, but it might, I'm, I think they're going to do something. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's what I heard too, because they had to compete with so many other festivals. Um, but you know. I mean, maybe that's the way the way for them to do it. I, I don't think that it's actually going to. It's such a brand that makes, you know, uh, brings the crowds and they know they know the name and the, the, you know what to expect from that kind of tour. That I don't see that 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 brand that's been built over 24 years is going to go away now. No, I don't. I don't think so either. Okay, well, I want to. I want to jump to. I want to you know pivot into something else. Um, I'm a, I've been a father now. I had my son two and a half years ago and I also have a nine month old daughter. And one thing that I really, really, it really touched me, man, is that, that documentary, the other F word that you were in. Yeah. Can you, uh, I mean, yeah. how is it being a dad? Did it completely change your life? I know a lot of my listeners are like around my age or younger. And I know that, you know, they're starting to have kids or they've had kids. And I bring this up a lot on the podcast, you know, punk rock guys, when they become fathers, it's kind of life changing a little bit more than maybe your, your normal person. Um, yeah, man. I, I think like I had, I had my son, I had my daughter when I was 36. I had my son when I was 38. Um, I, I know for a fact that it changed my life to work harder but in my case, like, here's the deal. I'll break it down for you. I've been single for about seven years. Uh, shit, I'll, okay, I'll get deep with you right now. I've been married I've been married three times. Okay. Kind of the same thing happened all three times. They came to realize, after all this, it's not really them. Like, why am I attracting these girls? So then I'm like, I need to work on myself. Like, I need to really look at myself and work on myself because running out and getting in another relationship ain't going to do what I ain't going to fix my, any of my problems right now. So... So the last about six, seven years, I've been single. I've only dated about three months out of all those years. Wow. I have no family out here. And in the beginning, I had my kids about 75% of the time. So 
people are like, how do you do it? I said, well, this is how I do it. I didn't grow up with a dad, and I ain't about to leave my kids. I'm going to pin it. Did it change my life? Yeah, it makes you work harder. And But for me, I wasn't never really – like, I partied a little bit in my life. Uh, there's, You know, I think a lot of people – think that I was a big part of your guy. I've never done drugs. I've never, I've never, I don't drink much. So for that aspect, it wasn't really, it wasn't really a big deal to me. I was just like, whatever. It was just more like, hey, all of us going out riding. Can you go? I can't. You know what I mean? Well, I feel the same way because I mean, on a, you know, every couple months I get an offer from friends from different bands or whatever. Hey, go to Europe. Hey, go to Asia. And I'm like, Man, I just can't. I'd love to go and play guitar and kind of have that life again, but I would miss my wife and I'd miss my kids. I just, and I, I want to be there for every moment of my kids' life. So I totally understand, man. Yeah, yeah, no, you do. My, you know, my kids are nine and eleven, and before you know it, they're gonna be driving cars and shit, and they're gonna be doing their own thing. And, uh, and the reality is, is that, you know, I just wanted to give them all of my time and devote my life to raising them to be champs, like. It's something that I never had in California with the dad and all these kind of things. And for me to grow, I do. But, yeah, I, I've had several friends that have been in bands and they have kids and they're, like, kind of worried. And then, and then you know, once that kid pops out, it definitely changes your life. If it doesn't change your life, you're just, like, some cold-hearted dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're, like, you're like, wait a second. But it's, it's, it's you know, as you, as you know, like, it's it's challenging, but at the same time, it's, like, well, what the hell? It's your blood, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Take care of them, you know? Definitely. And so, so my kids are cool. Like they're, like I said, they're surfing right now. I'm watching them right now. I push them. They're, they're very active. They're very into sports. They're very, you know, just, it's just you do what you can do. But, yeah, it changes your life, but it, it doesn't have to change for the worse, you know? I just, the only thing I can do is stay out there, anybody out there listening, doing it on your own is, is a challenge, straight up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But I saw, I saw some videos, you, you and your son just got back from New York city. I think I saw some videos and some pictures of you guys out riding. How was that? It was cool because he, he, he uh, my daughter went to Florida with her mom. And then I said, where do you want to go? He's like, New York. And he's been talking about it for five years. So I was like, well, that's my old stomping grounds. I know that, you know, let's go. I used to go to New York all the time. And it was, it was rad because it was like a, something that that we a bond that we we got even closer riding around late at night eating pizza and stuff it was just it's just cool you know it's just the things that it's kind of like one of those things where you want to give your kids the things that you never had you know what i mean and not to be like not to cry about it just to be like do it and i'm like it's rad that we got to go do that and he was stoked i was stoked that was cool that's awesome man. you know Okay, well, we'll move on to, to some other things. I have some notes here, and I just want to make sure I get through my notes. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully, I'm doing all right. Is it, are we doing all right so uh, far? Yeah, you're doing great, man. I'm, I'm loving it. I just wanted to, I wanted to get through some of these things. I also have a a, a listener question that I'll get to here in a second. But uh, how was uh, the whole like situation with you being on the Tony Hawk Pro Skater Three and the American Wasteland Games? Was that a pretty good experience? Yeah, I mean, like, we, we were doing shows. Like, I started doing shows with Tony Hawk, like, back in, like, maybe 92 or something, me and Matt Hoffman. Because I, I used to ride for Hoffman Bikes for Matt Hoffman. And then that's when, that's when like, the BMX and skate shows, they kind of existed, but we started to do more of them. And I met Tony, and uh, we just, you know, we all just became friends. And, and, and as, that, as that opportunity came about, it was like I was in Matt Hoffman Pro BMX 1 and 2 where the same people did Tony's games. 
And and uh, it was just like, I mean, I was honored, you know what I mean, to like be in the games. I was like, it's a trip. Like, because, you know, on, on the real, though, bro, to be real, I never really thought about it. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, it's kind of like one of those things, like, like, I never, I don't walk around going, yeah, if I was in that, I'm just, I, I sometimes forget, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, I understand I that, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Because I try to stay humble, but to be in those games is an honor because, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, skaters that I know that are pro, they used to ride BMX, and a lot of BMXers used to skate, and I felt like it was a nice way or a pretty cool way to bridge the gap and a little petty feud the sports might have to kind of say, it's all right, we all ride the same shit, it's not a big deal, you know what I mean? And, uh... I kind of looked at it more like that, and, and it, it was an honor because I love Tony Hawk. You know what I mean? He's a great dude. He's fucking awesome. Did you have to? Did you have to do like the motion capture balls and like wear the little like like skin tight thing when they? Or did they just do like a an artist rendering of your face and everything? No, at the time at the time for that, at the time for that, uh, they uh, they would do stuff more off a of video. Okay. So they, 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 the tech, technology had gotten to the point where they could get your motions off a of video grab rather than doing all those the little balls and stuff like Tony did and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um so it was kinda like one of those things where it was it was it was a complete honor, you know? Like it still is. I, I think I I think I showed my kids that game a couple years ago and they were like, Wow, you're in a video game They're like, Oh cool. All right, well Let's let's go. Let's do that. You know, they're like, they don't care. They're like, whatever. <laughs> like, whatever, Dad. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, one thing about my kids that I didn't do at all was I never told them anything like that I did in a way that was bragging to them. I let them just figure it out on their own because because I just felt like it's a way for them to just be to keep them hum- humble as well. And learn from, you know, just being humble is a great thing, but also proud of what you do. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely, man. But I never told them anything that I did. It's kind of funny. And then when they saw that, they were like, oh, you never told us. I was like, oh, I kind of forgot. Not in, a ma- not in a mean way. I just, you just keep moving forward. You go, oh, yeah, fuck, that was cool. Have, have they have they seen any of the movies that you're in, like Paul Blart Mall Cop or anything? Well, she came home from school one day, a couple of years ago, about three years or so ago. Because Dad, everyone keeps saying you're in a movie at school. Is that true? And I was like, Yeah, I've been in a few. Just which one? And I told her, She goes, You never told us. I was like, I don't know. I, just, I mean, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't it never came. It never came up. <laughs> that's, that's awesome, man. <laughs> I don't know. So like, yeah, kids, look what I done. I'm badass. I'm dad. <laughs> Yeah, it's like when your when your kids start understanding and you can have a conversation. It's like, okay, well, here's Daddy's list of achievements. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And so that's why I'm pushing them to be their own individuals. You know, people always say all the time, like, like, says, uh, yeah, okay, dog, he's up, baby, he's up. Oh no, my look at you. Oh, sorry, dude. That's oh, awesome, man. man. How did how did he do? Did he ride the wave pretty well? Super far. That's I'm awesome. your manager. I'm his manager, everybody. <laughs> That's awesome. That's what my dad my dad always used to say that he was gonna drive the tour bus when I was little and I was learning how to play the guitar. <laughs> oh, that's so sick. Yeah. I no, think yeah, no, but yeah, but with the accomplishments and shit, bro, it's just kinda like it's it you know, I'm just teaching them. They they see, they learn, they know. I kinda push my kids as, right now I'm pushing them to say, like, start thinking what you wanna do with your life, you know? Like oh, I'm only eleven. I go, Exactly. You don't want to wait till you're 18. Yeah. 
you know what I mean? Like, just to start figuring out what you like to do. And they're like, and then we'll, we'll focus on that and see where it goes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I have a, I have a listener question that I want to give you. Uh, this kind of surprised me as well. And then I did some searching and I, I found out this was true. Uh, Joe from Florida wants to know what it was like performing at the closing ceremonies of the 1996 Olympics. Oh, dude, that was rad. That was, it was so rad. Okay. There were eight bikers, eight skaters and eight inline skaters. And we all had to go do this choreographed, uh, routine in Atlanta and it was it was insane, bro. Because that I don't know how many people were in there. Was Eighty thousand or something. And and a commercial break, they wheeled out all these ramps, the full half pipe, these other like ramps that formed hips, these little box jumps, it was crazy. And uh, it was like it was kind of one of those things where we did it, and like a lot of like thanks to stuff ever being the Olympics, and we were like, nah, oh I don't know. And now now it is, you know. And and so uh, uh, at the time, it was like one of the biggest biggest things that i'd ever done but i was with all my friends it just felt like a big party bro like well, there's me dave mara matt hoffman dennis mccoy uh john parker um you know it was it was it was pretty it was pretty sick like oh wait no kevin wasn't there or was he did i hit my head too many times either way it was a rad party and and so we uh it was it was kind of like how it came up was just like through I got that that through Matt Hoffman, you know I got to give Matt a lot of respect and a lot of props that that he did he did a lot for me when I rode for him and he really believed in my riding and helped me out with a lot of opportunities and uh, uh, I got that opportunity through Matt, you know he asked me if I do that and I was just like, but it's kind of like one of those things where you're doing it and but you're so focused on pulling all your tricks that you're not like oh my God I'm at the Olympics oh my God you know you're just more like. You're so in the zone of getting your runs done that you don't really feel the excitement as much until it's done. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, all along, it's just like you're with, you know, Tony Hawk was there, Steve Cavallaro was there, there's all your friends, Andy McDonald was there, and so it was, it was, it was, to answer your question, it was, it was, it was rad, man, and it was like, pretty, pretty stoked to say I was part of helping break that into the, the Olympics, and hopefully, hopefully the Olympics don't. They keep some, some integrity of our sport in there. This is called that one time on tour, so I'm not going to let you go without maybe giving me a story or two from the road, whether it be, you know, riding or in the band. Can you give me some cool stories or anything that you can think of? Yeah, here's a good one for you. That one time on tour, me, Matt Hoffman, Dave Mara, we all loaded up from Oklahoma to drive to Santa, uh, let me think here, was it Santa Cruz or Santa Barbara or San Jose? It might have been San Jose. And, uh, we, uh, we cruised to go to this contest, the BS contest that Matt Hoffman was throwing. This is before X Games, say 1992, all right? So it's like a tour. You know, we toured up there. We toured up there. We're doing our thing. And uh, so we go to the contest, and I roll in to ride the ramp, and my chain breaks, and I slam into the other side of the uh, wall. And I racked myself real bad. So I went to the bathroom, and I was pissing blood. And I was in denial because I didn't have health insurance, couldn't afford it. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to go back to the hotel and lay down for a little bit. So I passed out. I woke up about 2 in the morning next to Matt Hoffman. The whole bed's full of blood. Wow. I'm like, dude, I got to go to the hospital. So I go to the hospital. I go to the urologist. They had to call in late at night. Stick this little scope down my dick, you know? Yeah. See, if there's, see what's going on. Realizes there's a tear. Ooh. 
outside to go get a catheter right there. Got back in the van the next day with my shorts on, blood everywhere. Had to drive all the way back to Oklahoma from San Jose to get another car to drive from Oklahoma to Kansas City with a catheter. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane. Got home, and the Beastie Boys were playing, so I was like, I'm going. (laughs) That night, that night, went there with the blood still all over my uh, hospital pants and the catheter and rocked to the Beastie Boys. (laughs) That's... My whole life has been a tour, bro. Home or on the road. You know what I'm saying? Wait, well, that, that kind of brings up some stuff. Then can you tell me some of like your most gnarliest like injuries that you've had over the years? Yeah, I, well, I got another tour story for you. One time, on, this is a good one too, that you did be musically. One time on War Tour, uh, every day Jim would have me, from Pennywise, would have me ask me to sing a Minor Threat song. So I'd sing Minor Threat. And... Uh, I'd go up and he'd hand me the mic and I got to sing my throat with Fletcher and Byron and everybody. And uh, that was probably like one of my best moments on Warped Tour because I was like, holy cow, I really actually feel like I'm in a band right now. Yeah. You know, something I always wanted to do. Oh my goodness. You know, that was a good one. We got, it, was, it was fun. But injury? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to hear some gnarly injuries, man. I'm sure you've had some. Uh, injuries. Yeah, man. I've like, I've like, uh, Injury-wise, the worst one that I had is I, like, I hit the corner of a loading dock with my face. Wow. And, and what happened was is, is I, came, I came up short on the gap, and when I hit, I broke my palate. You broke your palate? Yeah, and I didn't really know what the fuck was going on. I had a oh, little leaking from my brain and shit. I was like, what the hell is this shit? So I broke my palate. Okay, I'll over. I hit the corner of a loading dock. I broke my palate. All this fluid, so I have my teeth are fixed. So I popped out my teeth. I was like, shit. I tried this silly, stupid gap, bro, in St. Louis, and I hit the corner of a loading dock. Wow. So I basically hit, like, head first and, and then landed on my feet. And, like, hit my head on the loading dock, and then I bounced me back to stand on my feet. I was like, what the fuck just happened? And so I had all this fluid leaking, like, out in my mouth. I didn't taste like, taste like gas, actually. I was like, what is this? So I went to the doctor. It turns out I broke my palate. So what they had to do was they cut my head from ear to ear. Pulled my skin down, took some fat from my stomach to stop the leak because my brain was leaking because I hit my head so hard. Oh, my God. What's the healing process like for that? Check it out. I'll tell you a second. I deviated my septum. I had a hairline crack along my, my eye socket. My left corner of my eye broke, so they had to do a plate and screws. Then they had to lift my face and put plates and screws to align my paw back in place. But in order to do all of that, I needed to have a tracheotomy, so I have a hole in my throat. Jeez. So I woke up. I woke up with like a whole a tracheotomy, one stitch across my head. My head was swelled up so big, and I lost I lost all sense of taste and smell, and I had double vision. And they said, "Well, hopefully the double vision will go away, and hopefully you get your taste and smell back." Dude, I was eating everything was like glue, <laughs> glue. But 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 I couldn't eat. This is before actually I went home like two days before surgery, and I lost all sense of taste and smell. But after surgery, my mouth was wired shut because it had to wait for the palate to reattach itself because they had put screws there. So my mouth wired shut, fucking all this shit. And I'm like, fuck, dude, X Games is two months away. Fuck, fuck me. I'm, I'm going to go, man. I've worked again that shit. I'm going. And I'd sit up at night and visualize like my run, yeah. the music I'd ride to, what the ramp was, what the crowd would be like, what I would be wearing, what tricks I would do. And sure enough, Two months later, I competed X Games, and my head was still swelled up. I That's went for crazy, it. I'm like, man. I'm going for it. But, like, it's it. the, the power of healing is in the mind. Okay, check it out, brother. 
I take no pain medicine. I don't take anything. I hardly ever get sick. Very rarely. I never get a headache. Ever. That's crazy. The way you, the, the way you heal is the power of your mind. Your mind heals you quicker. Not the drugs and shit. Not your prescription drugs. Not with none of this, that. It's your mind. It's like how quick you want to get back on the horse. But for my job, if I miss a day of work, I'm, st- I'm bumming out because I love to ride. So if I'm, I'm hurt for two months, I'm like, I can't be hurt for two months. Get out of your mind. I ain't been around for two months. That ain't going to happen because I love what I do. Most people might not love what they do, and they want the fucking six-month break Yeah. because they don't like their job. I love my job. I'm I'm a guitar instructor now that I'm not on the road, and I love it. I I get to hang out with young kids all day and teach them Metallica songs. It's a lot of fun. That's sick, bro. That's really sick, actually. So did I? I saw a picture on I think on your Facebook. Uh, it was the back of your head was pretty tore up. Did that just happen recently? Yeah, I was riding this pool and my chain broke rolling in, and I slammed and hit my. Hold on. Hey, the ocean's big enough for both of you. <laughs> this is my um, favorite epi- This is my favorite episode of this podcast yet, man. <laughs> oh well, no, he's like, Dad, now he's getting in my way. I look out and there's no one in the water, <laughs> hardly at all, and I'm like, the ocean's big enough for both of you. What's going on? No, but uh, uh wait, what did you ask me just now? I asked you oh, about the my head. Yeah, your head. Yeah, yeah. No, we were riding this pool, and my chain broke rolling in the shallow end, and it flipped me over to the deep end. The way, you know, pools, they just you yeah. know, gradually, they sometimes go down not so gradual. And, and it was just my chain, man, and I smacked my head. And I was like, dude, I didn't, I didn't get stitches or anything. I just let it heal up. And, and it was pretty gnarly, but, like, after that, I was like, you know what? I know it looks cool and all to ride without a helmet. I did it for years. But after I smacked my head again, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start wearing a little bigger skate helmet, like in the pools. Uh, and then when I ride vert, I ride a full-face helmet. I was like, you know what? I don't care what anybody thinks. And get, get over that whole fact of, like, what looks cool and what's not. I'm 48. I think I should probably protect my head better. And that one was that was, that was actually kind of a, a wake-up call to say, hey, bro, like, well, what, what actually really happened was two weeks after that or about a month after that, I fell again and busted my head open in another spot. And then I had this shit leaking out of my nose. This is real shit right here. I'm not even kidding you. Wow. And it was like yellow fucking, it looked like a yellow skittle, you know what I mean? It looked yeah. like fucking gross yellow. And I, I did some research and there were membranes. And I was like, bro, okay, uh, you know what? I hit my, busted my head open in two spots in the last, in the last uh, month. I'm going to wear a helmet. Like, I, I, I just think that it's, for my longevity, I keep riding, and I love riding. I, I don't see why I shouldn't be wearing a helmet. You know what I mean? Totally, man. We, we want you to stay safe. I, I want you to keep riding and keep doing music, man. Yeah, well, you get – thanks, brother. Well, you get caught up in that, like, you know, riding the helmet because it looks more natural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're out. Like, it's you against the pool. It's you against the world. You're so <laughs> hardcore. I get it. I get it, bro. Sometimes I still might not wear a helmet, but it depends on what I'm doing. But if I'm going to be riding pools, I think it's smart, especially after that, because, you know, the last thing I want to do is have any kind of other surgery on my brain. And and when you have membranes leaking out of your fucking nose, it's kind of a little bit of a wake-up call to say, yeah, I'll probably wear a helmet. 
Definitely. Well, hey, man, we're, we're approaching an hour, and that's normally where I like to cut these. I've got a couple more questions. Uh, before I get into, like, uh, Pool Seekers and your music stuff you've got going on right now, uh, what are you listening to? What are, do you have any new bands you really like that you found out about, or what's on your playlist right now? You know what's crazy? My playlist, I've been listening. I like the new Suicidals, the last one they put out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but 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 a lot of a lot of the stuff that I listen to, man, is like newer bands. Not so not 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 to sound like fruity or anything. I just kind of like there's a certain certain style of songs, bands that I just can't get over, like Metallica and Pantera. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I'm just like not so. That's the kind of stuff I've been really into lately. But I've always been into. See, my my musical range is huge though because. It goes, it goes so many different ways, like, of what I would like. If I like it, I like it. I don't care. Yeah, you know definitely. I mean? If it's good music, and it's it, good music. It doesn't matter what genre it is. Totally. And so so my, my thing is is that, like, I, I, my iPod, it, it always just seems to be music that, like, really that really gets me pumped up to want to, like, go next level and ride, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but like, I, just to come off the top of my head, I really been listening to Panther a lot. Like, Enraged, always, Corn. You know, I really, like... For me, writing, that's the stuff that makes me, like, like get into that zone of, like, all right, let's, let's go. You know what I mean? But then I can put in, like, right now, I can, I, I can put in Fugazi. Hell yeah. Well. Hell yeah. Like, I'm, like, like, to me, that's what's working for me. That's the, that's the era of music that I love. Not that I'm not open to the other stuff, because I am. But, but it just seems like, for me, I know what works for me, like, Bands like Verbal Assault and Grey Matter, and you know these are these are older bands, DC bands. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of those, a lot of those Discord bands, right? Yeah, Marginal Man's another one, and uh, uh, you know those bands kill it. Uh, oh, another really good one is Beefeater. Oh my gosh, you know? <laughs> awesome. It's just yeah, you know. So so that that's pretty much just in my stuff right now. A, a lot, like I said, a lot of Metallica and a lot of Pantera. Um, well, I tell you hold what, on. I hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on one second, and then we're gonna cut this. <laughs> Can a sand shark be there? Yeah, just pick it up and take a bite his head off, bro. See, <laughs> might have saw one. It ain't gonna hurt you. You say it's a shark? Hold on, it's a land. It ain't gonna hurt you. A little sand. Oh, okay. Just step on it, swim off. It ain't gonna do nothing to you. What do you think it's gonna come and bite you? It's got better things to do than bite you. It might not even like what you taste. <laughs> awesome man um yeah but no but music but you know i like to get i like to you know there's this one band a, a few years ago that i was listening to called mongol horde have you ever heard of those guys i've heard the name yeah i don't know much about them but like i like to be introduced to some newer, newer music uh you know music, music goes through a lot of changes you know i just like that gritty that gritty those gritty heavy riffs like the chromax i've been listening to as well like you know it's just that aggressive that aggressiveness you know i, yeah. I dig it bro well, I mean, if you're going to go shred up a pool on your bike, you probably want to listen to something pretty aggressive, correct? Yeah, and, and, and if you're doing L.A. traffic, yeah. you got to put Kill em All on. You <laughs> kill em I mean? all. Yeah, heck yeah, dude. <laughs> Vulgar display of power. Bro, I get through L.A. traffic with that every day. Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I tell you what, man. It's been a blast having you on the podcast. Can you tell me a little bit about Pool Seekers? I know that's kind of the thing that you're doing like pretty hard, hardcore right now. Yeah, no, Pool Seekers is cool because uh, it's a show I wrote. Basically, I wrote the show, produced it, directed it, 
uh, all my band's music's in it. It was totally like a DIY project, and then Boost Mobile funded it. And it's uh, 10 episodes. The first season's five episodes, and we're in California. The second season, we went on tour. It's called Drain Them All, and we went to different cities. I got Tony Hawk on episode, Steve Cavalera, Salva, um, you know, uh, pro bike riders like Ron Wilkerson's on an episode. And it's cool because basically, look, dude, I got divorced for the last time in my life ever. And at the time, you know, I'd worked myself up to Beverly Hills. And it was never really like a status thing. It happened. It happened that way. And I had to let go of all of that stuff. I had to let go of all my possessions, go back to a little apartment with two dogs, a cat, and two kids. Uh, starting over, you could say. Band, trying to figure out the band, trying to figure out my riding career, like trying to figure out myself, like, what the fuck, man? What am I going to do, you know? And then I started to go ride pools, and I started to look at these abandoned houses, and I started to say, like, yo, like, all this shit we work for, you can't take with you, homie. You can't take it. You ain't. You can't take it. You and everything you work for, your life set, this, that, whatever. Like, but at one point in your life, you got to let go. And so I'm sitting in these, like, multimillion-dollar houses in their yard going, completely abandoned, going, damn. This is a wake-up call to me to help me get over my situation of letting go of a house, letting yeah. go of possession. You feel me? And yeah. I got I got drawn to that, and then it just turned into like I started filming everywhere we go on a GoPro, and then randomly I get a call from Boost to, to do a commercial because I rode for them for like ten years, and they're like, "We want to get you back on the team. We want to do this commercial," and they started asking me about all my pool coverage, and I said, "Well, I'm, I'm I might do a YouTube show, but I don't know." And they said, "Let's talk." Turns out they went ahead and sponsored the show and sponsored two seasons of it. That's awesome. So it kind of just organically happened from like. Getting a divorce, realizing, letting go of possessions, you can get that back. Find yourself to be happy and content with what you're doing. And then you're going into these multi-million dollar houses that are just shit. And the only thing you can think of, bro, is just like, keep moving forward, man. Enjoy this ride. Because not to say don't work for things and not to say don't enjoy things, but all of us in our lives at some point have to let go of all of it. Yeah. Straight up. And... And that was a hard thing for me to do, coming from Missouri, making it to Beverly Hills, and uh, and being able to pull it off. You know what I mean? Were you were you living in Beverly Hills on your episode of MTV Cribs? Because I watched that this morning in preparation for our chat. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! No, that that was that was a house one street over in Bel Air. Okay. Um, which was cool. Which which I mean, just the way that it all happened is is you know I had a manager at the time. And his friend was selling the house there, and I just got divorced the second time, and he said he should buy his house. I got a good deal on it, and I didn't even really know where I was moving. And then I grew oh, shit, I'm right here, and all this shit was oh, crazy. But, it's, I mean, I used to live right down the street from where Charlie Manson, the, all those murders happened with Sharon Tate. And all wow, that. that's, that's and crazy. The house, the house is completely gone, but, but just the whole, like, studying all that and studying those hills and all the trauma it's had, you know, it's pretty intriguing. It's yeah. Like, like wow, this is this is fucked up, shit, you know. Yeah. And but I found myself like at a place I think where my subconscious mind always was at was when I was that kid in Kansas City dreaming. Yeah. You know. Well, I think I think when you grow up in the Midwest, I mean, I'm not like you know saying bad things about anybody else where they grew up, but me too. Like I grew up in Indiana, which is fairly close to Kansas City. I think anytime anything happens to you, you are a bit more humble. 
because I think, you know, you, you know, Henry Rollins always says he comes from the minimum wage world. So every opportunity is kind of like a blessing. You know, I, I feel like that's how it is. If you come from the middle of the country, like you do, and like I do, you don't take things for granted the same way. No, you don't. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think you do. I think that like, there's a lot more poor people than rich. There are a lot more people that are middle class or lower middle class than rich. And, and especially in a lot of those areas too. And so you have this different sense of like gratitude, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I really think, I think it really is person to person too as well. I mean, for me, I just, you know, I thought I was doing things the right way and got a house first and had kids and, you know, doing this and that. And then, and then now I just come to realize that like you, you do the best you can do to, to enjoy the ride, you know, and, and, and sometimes when one door closes, don't get too upset because many more are open that are better. And that's how you got to look at life. You can't, you know, you can't say, oh, I'm losing, I lost my house. And say, I lost, oh, I had to let go of a house because I'll get another one. It's just a house. Well, dude, I'll tell you what, you, you've been a breath of fresh air on this podcast. I love your positivity, man. And I think, I think a lot of people are going to take a lot away from this podcast. So thank you so much for being a part of it, man. Yeah, thanks. And hopefully I didn't talk too much. No, you, you, yeah, you talk just enough, man. And I love the breaking away and talking to your kids. I'm leaving all that in because it's real life, and I love it, man. Oh, hold on. Watch out for that shark. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so what I'd like to ask you, though, can you tell me about Good Guys in Black and what you guys have? Anything coming up? I know you've been doing a lot of videos and whatnot. Yeah, same thing. Doing videos and, like, just positioning myself with, like, writing new songs. Got four new songs. I got a new song coming out called Face Your Shadow. And that's a song about basically realizing, like, what you're facing yourself. You know, a lot of, a lot of good guys at Black is from that, that, that demeanor, you know, that stance. Um, as far as shows, nothing's planned right now, but that's going to change. Because, you know, juggling multiple careers, I got Pool Seekers filmed, I got that done. I couldn't tour doing that. That was a lot, that was a heavy project for me to do, you know. But, but along the way, we pushed to write new music for the, not only the, the show, but also with the, you know, hey, we want to we play some gigs. We want to tour. You know what I mean? Um, so now that I've gotten that, that pretty much, like, done, now I'm focusing on finishing this music video. Uh, we got a new video coming out called Wake Up, a new single coming out called Face Your Shadow. And, and as far as gigs, like, there'll be gigs. I'm optimistic on touring in that. It's just like now I'm directing my when – you, when you have multiple careers and you have to juggle – you have to go from shift gears from one to the other to the other. Yeah. You're taking it all on at once. You feel what I'm saying? Oh, definitely, man. And yeah. So as far as as far as that, it's just keep moving forward, keep writing songs, and keep keep expressing ourselves because that's really what it's all about. Period. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So how can my listeners find you on the internet? What do you want to What do you want to plug right now? As far as so they can find everything on YouTube? Do you have a website? Like, what's the deal? Website's rickthorne.tv, and then and then I have goodguysinblack.com. But Instagram's all Rick Thorne and Good Guys in Black. And then Pool Seekers, Instagram, Pool Seekers, you know, same. You just Google Pool Seekers, you'll see it online. So that's, that's probably the best way to see what's going on with me. I, I'm really on Instagram quite the most, but but that seems like, you know, the best way to, to see what I'm up to every on a daily basis. But, but, yeah, check out the music, though, goodguysinblack.com, and you're on Spotify and iTunes and all that stuff, so it's cool. Awesome, man. Well, Rick, I just want to say thank you very much. And uh, hopefully, you know, when you guys have some more music come out and whatnot, maybe come back for a part two and we can talk all about the music. But I, I love this podcast. I love how freeform it was. And you're an awesome dude, man. And I miss you. And I hope you're doing great. And I'll talk to you soon, man. 
Thanks, brother. And, and, and th- thanks a lot, man. Thanks a lot for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay, much love, brother. Stay right. Peace out. Much love, man. Bye. And there it was, my conversation with my good pal, the biker in black, Mr. Rick Thorne. Make sure you guys check out his band, Good Guys in Black. Uh, Check out his show on YouTube, Pool Seekers. And uh, go to rickthorne.tv for all of the other information that you would need on Rick. Um, I want to give a shout out to my new art director, Will, over at Will Fellick Art and Design. Uh, Will is a great guy, and he's been helping me out with a lot of the promo and the artwork for the for the social media posts and whatnot. So big ups to Will. And uh, next week's episode, we're just going to keep rolling. Uh, we've got my good friend, Jonathan Newby. Uh, Jonathan sang for the band Brazil that was on Fearless Records, a band that I was in for a while. Uh, he's been in all kinds of really cool, you know, projects. And he recorded at my old recording studio, The Gallows, with Brian from the Ataris, one of my buddies, who hopefully is going to be a guest on the show soon. I'm just texting him as I was getting ready to record this outro. So, uh, yeah, Jonathan Newby is going to be on the show next week. If you guys don't know about Brazil or you don't know anything about Jonathan, Google it and check it out. It's going to be an awesome episode. So I'm going to leave you guys with a song by Good Guys in Black. But before I do that, make sure that you are following us on all of the social media platforms. It's at T-O-T-O-T podcast. Get in touch. T-O-T-O-T podcast at gmail.com. Call the T-O-T-O-T hotline. 1-765-372-8818. So that's going to do it for me this week. I appreciate you guys coming back and listening. And if you have any suggestions, you know, let me know. Um, If you want to be on the show, hit me up. Maybe I'll have you on the show. Uh, I'm getting ready to put out a link soon for our Patreon. Um, I don't know how it's going to go. I mean, I know some podcasts do fairly well with Patreon. Uh, We're going to offer some exclusive stuff, and it's going to be super, super cheap. So if you guys are interested... You know, just let me know that it's going to be something cool. If not, if you guys, it just feels like I'm like begging for money that I'm not going to do it. It does, you know, cost a little bit of money to keep the lights on for this podcast. And I've got some great sponsors that are helping. But, you know, I figured I'd try the Patreon thing because some of you guys get a hold of me a lot and you seem to really like the show. So uh, let me know if you think that's a good idea. And uh, I'm going to leave you with this really cool song by Rick's band, Good Guys in Black. Here it is. Face Your Shadow, Good Guys in Black. I'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much. Stop playing the victim, get on with the quest!
This is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. 